today we are going to cover a few different things. We're going to cover the Palestine protest that took place in D.C., but also around the globe. Uh, we are going to talk about rising prices, McDonald's, $16, $18 Big Macs. We're going to talk about small business optimism. And lastly, a generation that doesn't want to work. So let's jump right in. A massive protest was organized by Act Now to stop war and end racism, otherwise known as the Answer Coalition. And they're an anti-war organizer formed after the 9-11 attacks. Well, what happened is they were one of the chief sponsors of the uh, March for the Freedom of Palestine protest that took place in D.C. Well, this march began at 2 p.m. on November 4th, and according to the Answer Coalition, more than 300,000 people attended the rally, which started at Freedom Plaza and ended at our nation's White House. So 300,000 people descend on Washington, D.C., but here's where the entrepreneur and here's where I want your input. So one of the things that happened is graffiti was everywhere around the city. Uh, statues and facilities, remnants of the weekend demonstration could be seen outside the White House Monday with red hand prints on the gates and free Palestine spray painted on statues. The march came days after the House passed a bill that would provide $14.3 billion in federal aid to Israel. The legislation would cut into, excuse me, the 14-page bill passed by a 226 to 196 vote with 12 Democrats joining Republicans to push the legislation through is unlikely to survive the Dem Democrat-controlled Senate. The legislation would cut into cash, which is allocated to the IRS. Guys, if you don't know, basically they're trying to fund Israel by cutting funds to the IRS, which is actually a, a smart move if you're going to fund anything. So um, going on, but the protesters in D.C. and across the country are calling for an immediate ceasefire and an end to all aid. With protesters chanting, th chanting things like, the U.S. government has blood on its hands. While the Biden administration speaks in our name, he does not represent the views of the majority of the people in this country, said one of the protesters and executive director of the Answer Coalition. Uh, so the main point of this article is that 300,000 people descended. People are calling for an immediate ceasefire and ending of all federal aid. But on top of that, the most visible uh, evidence of this demonstration was tons of graffiti and vandalism essentially mm -hmm. taking place in our nation's capital. So my question to you in this first pain point is, how do you begin to think about events like this happening and then think about continuing to build businesses in America? One of the beautiful things about the United States is we just, we have freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of belief, freedom to, to protest. Um, <clears throat> It doesn't really impact me, but I do know like when I'm thinking about where I'm going to invest or where I want to build my business, I do. And, and this is kind of comes from my background in investment in real estate. You know, you tend to lean towards investing in places that are not democratically run, investing in places where uh, the government is more favorable towards entrepreneurship and capitalism. And so I definitely think that that's probably going to be more forefront in people's minds. I mean, we, you're already seeing people move out of, you know, major metros where they're democratically run and, and go to places where it's more conservative in nature, <clears throat> especially fiscally and um, for business. So that's one way to think about it. <clears throat> um, but just in general, I have a hard time with that entire sentiment about somebody who drew first blood calling for anti-racism um, and speaking out against everything that's happening in Palestine. Secondly, <clears throat> um, 
if you don't love it here, like pack your shit, you know, and the Palestine would love your help. You should actually put your money where your mouth is and go move back over there. That's my personal opinion. So I think as entrepreneurs, you know, it's important for us to be vocal about where we stand. I mean, you guys know exactly where I stand. And uh, if you don't love this country, by all means, like pack up and go. But there's a lot of people that are dying to get in. And so part of the issue is it's become a little bit um, expected by the way we've handled immigration. I have nothing wrong with immigration as long as it's done legally. But just letting anybody and everybody in and thinking that they're entitled to it is a big problem. Yeah. You know, from my perspective, the when I'm thinking about, you know, I look at the infants happening and I see them as like a clash of worldviews, essentially. And so I'm looking at it as, a, as an entrepreneur. I'm looking at it like, you do the, know these value sets don't necessarily line up. Right. And, and so that aspect is, is somewhat disheartening in the sense of like, we don't see the bigger picture. And, you know, in particular, I don't know if entrepreneurs out there are, are questioning, like, do, do I need to be looking elsewhere to be built, continuing to build businesses and building my empire? Because are we moving the way we shouldn't go? I don't know. Maybe that's a, a can we'll crack open at a different date, but it's just interesting. To As me. in like people are being turned off from starting businesses. Yeah. Like I, th- I think that's just an interesting thing to think of because you can see how this, these type of events also impact workers. Mm-hmm. For example, 300,000 people de- descending upon your city. You can't actually run your business that day. Yeah. Small business, but who make up seventy percent of the economy and the, and the vast majority of jobs, yeah. right? And so you have these different things where people. I, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody's like, "Where am I going to go next to continue to build my empire for my family and, and different things?" Because you still can do it with the beauty of the internet, you know, right? You know, or e-commerce, and then now you're shifting the physical landscape of cities and places and families. And so I think just the consequences of this continuous um, lack of truth, lack of standards, lack of, uh, lack of really what makes leadership. I mean, at the tail end of every, you know, major economic cycle like this is leadership's at an all time low. And so I think that the, the silent majority is a real thing, you know, for them to say that, like, you don't speak for all of America. I would say that those pro Palestinian people are the far, far minority Compared to people like you and I, there's a lot more of us. Millennial generation is the largest segment of the workforce, largest segment of entrepreneurs in the country. Um, Baby boomers are stepping down. Millennials are stepping up. They're still kind of the conduit between traditional American values and the next generation. And so what you're experiencing is kind of the tail end of what's been going on for the last 10, 15 years. Mm, Come on. That's good. That's good. Okay. Pain point number two. Yep. This article comes by way of the New York Post. $16 McDonald's meal leaves fans fuming. Fans. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Beloved fast food chain, no longer affordable. The article starts off, it was a not so happy meal. (laughs) (laughs) Sign that person up, dude. Great copywriting. And an, an enraged McDonald's customer says the fast food chain... Fast food franchise is no longer affordable for ordinary Americans, calling the company's contemporary prices crazy. So I get there's a labor shortage, the person says. I get there's wage increases and a number of other things, this Idaho man who went viral on TikTok. But $16, $16 for a burger, a large fry, and a drink, it's just crazy. 
The flabbergasted content creator complained, panning to his itemized receipt from a McDonald's restaurant in the city of Post Falls. The video was, original, video was originally posted on social media last December, but has now gone viral again after McDonald's reportedly um, increased revenue directly by strategically hiking prices. Uh, there were also reports of an $18 Big Mac in Connecticut. Lay <laughs> raising their prices. Uh, in the comment section of the post, viewers voiced their frustration with the price of fast food. It's officially not convenient or affordable anymore, one moaned. Companies know they can get these prices now, so they'll never go back, a second person commiserated, saying the glory days of cheap fast food were over. It's all relative. Relative. However, others left comments in defense of McDonald's, telling Olive he ordered a premium burger and could have secured a different meal for a lower price. Bro ordered the most expensive meal and, and have acted, has acted surprised. Okay, first off, let's get the record straight. There's nothing premium about McDonald's. Uh, One person said, you sound like these, those boomers that complained about $5 popcorn. However, Olive, okay, I'm just going to stop there. Uh, what I want to pose to you, man, uh, <laughs> you know, with these types of stories are going to get attention. And what it's doing is actually pitting consumer against the producer of the business, the business owner. Yeah. And so I think if you can speak to speak to both sides, because I think the re, with the reality of running a business and I think that's being lost because, you know, yes, there are people that can take advantage of system, but also you have people are trying to meet demands of, Paying people wages, right? And yeah. so there's this battle that is sort of brewing. But if we don't take a step back and say, well, how is a business actually run? Let's check out the economics of a business and what's effective leadership in situations like this. Yeah, I mean, obviously they don't have a choice, right? Minimum wage is being driven higher, rightfully so. I mean, the cost of living for people has gotten out of hand. It's far exceeded wage growth. So it's about time. The byproduct, though, of increasing wages is you got to increase your your profit to offset the new operating cost, and that's the part that the customers don't really understand. Um, second to that, the when you build a business on the back of effectively cheap labor, like McDonald's has done and all fast food chains have done, uh, it's inevitable where it eventually catches up with you, and they're catering candidly to uh, a customer base that has is in a lower income bracket. And so those things combined create a triple whammy of sorts. Um, but this is, this is my favorite part about capitalism, right? Because now everybody has a choice and the choice is you don't have to buy the burger. You can go somewhere else. Um, you know, I, I look at, you guys hear me talk a lot about Chick-fil-A because I'm just mesmerized by the culture, right? They, they're they closed for 52 Sundays out of the year. If they opened, they would bring in another $650 million a year, but they don't because of their culture. And so nobody's waking up, no employee's waking up and saying like, damn, I just can't wait to go work at McDonald's today. But there are a lot of people who are waking up excited to go work at Chick-fil-A because of the culture that they've built. And I know a lot of people who've worked at Chick-fil-A I know a few operators who operate a couple Chick-fil-A's and every single one of them has nothing but positive things to say. And so the McDonald's franchise grew into a money-making machine um, and got far, far away from what its core values were, which was delivering a really high quality burger at an affordable price to the end user. 
and most people don't know this, but McDonald's is the largest real estate owner in the world, right? They actually own the real estate under every location. They own the building and then they put an operator in there. Um, <clears throat> so McDonald's has focused on becoming a very profitable business, but not necessarily the best quality burger or best place to work. And so God bless capitalism. If you don't want to work there or you don't want to pay that price, then go somewhere else. And the market will ultimately determine who wins out. And if that forces McDonald's to innovate and start using automation, then they will. So be it. Um, and I, so I think that, you know, for entrepreneurs, as you're thinking about building your business, one of the things you should do if you have employees in your business is figure out, try to try to figure out how to pay them the most money possible and create the best culture in which they're excited to come to work every day because they're paid a fair wage and they're on board with the mission and the vision. But if your business model is to pay them the least amount so that you can squeeze the most profit out for yourself, you ain't going to make it long-term, not, not to build a sustainable business. That's good. That's really good. Before we move on, the one last point I wanted to, to add to the consumer out there is <clears throat> don't be surprised that you would see price hikes in light of things like legislation. Correct. It, it's just, that's just how it works. If it's going to cost me more to operate it by paying my people more, which I'll gladly do, we may be in a position where we have to offset that. Now, offsetting right. is different from capitalizing upon. We may have to offset that with a higher price on our product and that affects the consumer. And so, you know, you, it, they go hand in hand. And so, yeah. Without being condescending, it's, it's basic economics, but we kind of live in this time where it's like, I can pay everyone more money and everything stays coping steady. And, and yeah, like that. And don't be surprised if a major corporation would take advantage of that. Right. So, okay. Pain point number three, my friend, small businesses, Basically, small business owners believe the economy is on the upswing. And this is a survey coming by way of American CoinOp. Never heard of the publication, but I enjoyed the article. So, survey, small business owners believe economy is on upswing. <clears throat> the Q3 MetLife and U.S. Chamber of Commerce Small Business Index hit its highest score since the start of the pandemic as small business owners see an improving economy. The index score, which measures, measures small business owner confidence, jumped this quarter from 60 to 69.2 from 63.1 thanks to a 9% increase in the share of small businesses that say the economy is in good health. The report went on to say that 66% of small businesses um, reported that their business is in good health. 72% of them say they are comfortable with their cash flow. Both measures jumped several points from last quarter. Main Street employers are showing remarkable resiliency in the face of high inflation and a shortage of workers, says Tom Sullivan. Vice President of Small Business Policy for the Chamber of Commerce. With fears of a recession likely in the rearview mirror and inflation starting to ease, small business owners are feeling a lot better than they were a year ago. But there are challenges that still remain, my friend. Over 52% of small business owners say inflation is still their biggest concern and challenge. Still around a record high, which has been consistent over the last year, there was notable concern this quarter about wage inflation as 56% of respondents say keeping up with employee salary expectations is a challenge. Uh, amid the ongoing worker shortage, there has, been, there has been a slow uptick in the concern for employee retention and being able to afford employee benefits. Small businesses are like twice as likely to say employee retention is one of their biggest challenges compared to the last two years. So employee retention, you know, being able to afford salary increases and then inflation because they obviously are trying to offset 
that with salary increase, but there's a general sense of with the majority of these businesses surveys saying their their cash flow is in a good spot. My question to you as owner of multiple businesses is, do you share that same optimism as you look at 2024 as, a, as an operator of business? I mean, I think that, first off, the article's contradictory because it says they're, <laughs> they're focused on, like, inflation's decreasing, and so they're optimistic. And then it says, but their biggest concern is inflation. Um, so... I don't, I mean, I generally don't feel one way or the other about it. It just is what it is. Right. So one of the things about business is the game is infinite. And so the rules are always going to change and you're just going to adjust. Um, but I was also a commodities broker and trader for large majority of my career. I got started in 2008 and there's one thing that I've known to be true is that the street, AKA main street is generally the last to the party. Hmm. They're, they're going to be the most optimistic um, when they shouldn't be. And they're going to be the last one. They're going to be the most pessimistic when they shouldn't be. And so it always concerns me when we're getting sentiments from a real small segment of the market, um, let alone small business owners in general, because they're, they're not that sophisticated. They don't know anything about the stock market. Typically they don't know anything about the debt markets. They're generally very undereducated as it relates to economics. They're not thinking about the, you know, global world order and how that ultimately impacts where they're at demographically, demographic cycles. And so um, we, we would call this in the trading world, we would call it a dead cat bounce where the market looks like it's actually back on the upswing. And that's when all the rookies get baited into actually making a move and buying the stock and then it it falls out of bed again and those people get washed out and then the real bottoms in so i think there's still a lot of looming things out there like bad uh commercial real estate debt um corporate debt at an all-time high the fact that seven companies out of 500 in the s p 500 are the only thing that held up the stock market this year those companies were up 96%. Well, the majority of them were down, but they're up by so much that it actually showed a net positive return on the stock, stock market as a whole. <clears throat> so that to me feels like a bad move. I, maybe some sectors are probably starting to settle down a little bit, like home building has other things behind it that are going to drive it a little bit more. Um, but when you look at Berkshire Hathaway and some of these major companies that are still sitting on $193 million or billion dollars in cash. Um, you know, it should probably give you some pause, but I would also say success leaves clues. So where are they putting their money? Where are they actually investing? Those are things that we should probably consider. Um, I think the follow-up question to that was how do you remain optimistic? I mean, like I said, both of those things can exist at the same time. Here's the reality of where we're at here's what we're doing currently in terms of deals and navigating through it because you just never know, right? In 2000, 2008, I was sitting on a trading desk when the Dow Jones fell 777 points. Fast forward to 2018, I was hiring 150 people a year. Unemployment was at 2.85%. We're in the largest expansion since World War II. We hadn't seen a correction in, you know, 10, 11 years at that point. And the market typically corrects every 10 to 12 years. So what did I do? I sold my house. I got liquid, moved into a townhome. And I had plenty of powder dry waiting for the market to correct and nothing happened. Then in March, 
2020, we went back into a lockdown and we actually had a congruent percent fall in the stock market of 1300 points in a single day, similar to the 777 point fall that we had in 2008. And everybody thought this is it. Nothing happened, right? <clears throat> the market actually went into the opposite effect. It had a frenzy in terms of buying homes and real estate. And so the market still hasn't actually fully corrected and kind of washed out all the noise from 2020. Um, <clears throat> and so I think I'm still cautiously optimistic about where we're going, keeping cash dry, getting lines of credit when I need them, but I'm still forging ahead because at the end of the day, I don't know. And if you try to time the market, just like you would with trading, you're going to get your butt kicked because you'll be wrong more than you're right. That's real. That's good. That's good. They would call it real quick. They would call it in the world of investing. They would call it dollar cost averaging. So whether the market's going up or the market's going down, I'm making investments and moving the business forward. <clears throat> okay. Last pain point of the day here. We're going to talk about work. Now there's this clip going around that's on Twitter. Uh, let's cue this up. You guys bear with us for three minutes of third party audio here from the platform formerly known as Twitter. I don't want to work anymore. And now everyone who's not going to watch the full video can go comment about how lazy I am, how lazy my generation is, and how we just don't want to work anymore. And now for those that are still here, I will explain what we mean by that. I do want to work. If I didn't work, I think I would honestly probably get so bored that I would just want to off myself. Like most of us want to work. It helps give you purpose. It helps give you something TikToks to do. Hopefully you do something you're passionate about. Luckily for me, I do do something I'm passionate about. So I genuinely like my job. But the problem is the purpose of a job is supposed to pay for you to be able to afford to live. And that's just not the case anymore. People in my generation who went to college, who did everything they were supposed to do, worked hard in school, nah. went to a good college, graduated with their degree, yada yada, got their first job, and they can't afford to live. And we're working 40 to 60 hours a week, like on average, and we cannot afford to live. Like we just do not make enough to pay rent, to pay for food. Everything is so expensive right now, and wages are not keeping up with the cost of living. So we are working full time, giving up a huge portion of our lives to work, and we can't even sure. afford to live. That is why my generation is frustrated. That is why we don't want to work anymore, because we work really hard and we still can't afford to even get by. So, like, what's the point? We can't afford to save. We can't afford to buy things we want. We can't afford to go out and do fun things. We can barely afford to pay our rent and buy food. A lot of us have like two or three jobs or like work a full-time job and have several side hustles. That is the case for me. And then older generations just look at us and they're like, you're not working hard enough. This is your fault. Like you're not working hard enough. That's why you can't get. The reason we can't get by is no, because the cost of living since the 90s has gone up 67% while the wages that. have only gone up 18%. So wages have not kept up with the cost of living. That is why we can't afford to live. Not because we're lazy, not because we don't work, not because we don't want to work anymore. That is why. That is all. We're also in extreme debt because everything is so much more expensive than it used to be. College is way more expensive than it used to be. Cars are way more expensive than they used to be. Housing, way more expensive than it used to be. And on top of all that, 
politicians and older generations are destroying our environment, not doing anything to protect it. So we don't even know that there'll be a habitable earth when we're older to live in. So yeah, that makes us pretty pessimistic and nihilistic and not want to work. <laughs> That's a perfect way to fix it. Just do nothing. So, I mean, a couple things I'll say to that just straight away. <clears throat> Unrealistic expectation. When I was first married, we lived in a townhome with two roommates. (laughs) And I worked 80 hours a week making jack squat to get ahead and feeling the exact same way. Like I didn't have any money. Like I couldn't go on trips. I couldn't buy things. uh, Couldn't even sign to get a car loan. I needed a co-signer. I mean, that's just the reality of being in that age group, as it relates to your skill set, you don't have anything in the college. College does not guarantee you jack. No, it doesn't. It's a stepping stone, but you still need some real world experience. Knowledge plus experience equals competence and confidence. And so, yeah, you're going to lose out on the higher paying job to somebody who's got seven, 10 years of experience ahead of you. Mind you, the millennial generation is the largest segment of the workforce. And so they got a bit of a head start on you, Gen Z. Um, but I will echo what she said. The cost of living is way higher. We were, we just talked about that, right? Wage growth has not kept up. Um, and people are living at home longer, which is more normal. But I mean, you know, Cole, our C-Rock, he has roommates, just like I did when I was 23 years old. Like I told you, I got married at 24, 25 years old. We had roommates as we were married as a new couple. So that's just that's just kind of the way that it goes. And something that you ultimately have to just deal with if you're going to be coming out in the workforce. We've also just kind of lied to the generation that if you go to school, you get a college degree, that you're like guaranteed a certain amount of income. And that's just not true either. College is more expensive. Cars are more expensive. Nobody said you had to use debt to buy them. You could have very well went to JUCO, right? And come out of junior college debt-free. You sure could. You could have gotten a beat up 87 blazer like I drove for a very long time. Or I bought a uh, reclaimed, rebuilt title Suzuki Forenza. Super not hot. If you're trying to pick up chicks, don't buy that car. Um, That was not good for my game. But luckily, I was already married by then. So, But I didn't have the money to buy it. So I don't know what, what reality she lives in. But I think that she's also just very misguided in her expectation of what it should be like. I resonate with all of that. I don't even need to add anything. The only thing that strikes me about in generally in this conversation, because she's not the first one to say something like this, is there's a there's always a tone that lacks fiscal responsibility mm-hmm. and ownership for one situation. And just a bigger picture view with a dose of humility of like, you're not the first person in their youth to struggle financially. Yeah. What is the pathway of getting out of struggling financially? Yeah lost in this general it's this sense of entitlement of like i did everything i was supposed to do and i expected it to be sunshine and rainbows and me to be able to go do fun things like look the truth is that's just not the reality for most people around the world second of all you ain't struggling that much you you are making tiktoks or twitter posts and you have internet you have all sorts of yes. things you know what i'm saying and so i think that's the part that only gets me as like have some humility Take some responsibility for your financial situation and learn how people actually build wealth. Yeah. And there's never been going to. Well, we talked about it a few weeks ago in another pain points. We were talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? And so 
right now they just have no concept of what it what real struggle actually feels like one um but two we've 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 set them up in society to make them think that that the expectation is they're supposed to go to college and if they go to college that they're they should make x y and z money and that's just not no, nobody said you had to go to a top tier school. Nobody said you had to spend 70. You very easily could have went to a division two school, a junior college, Unity college, baby. And, and tuition and literally ended up in the exact same place that you're at right now without a hundred K in debt. Correct. That notion, you know, I feel for people like that cause it's burdensome, you know, especially when you are an experience and you feel like you're trapped. Um, but to some degree, you got to take ownership of being in that situation. That's really the only way you're getting out, you know, because otherwise you're saying someone else has to come fix this. And then also, these are the same people that are putting price tags on every politician that says, fix this, spend money to fix this, fix my climate, fix this, fix this, yep. give me health care, give me medicine, give me books, give me, give me all these things. <laughs> and we wonder why I can't afford to live. Well, first of all, it's because you're actually building a world where the government's going to take care of you. Yep. Called... Socialism. So that being said, that is all today. <laughs> I think we covered a lot. That was good. It's actually one of my favorite episodes. We covered a lot. And I really enjoyed the gems we were dropping today. So guys, entrepreneurs out there, you are builders, you are change makers, and you matter. And continue to just walk the walk, talk the talk, and do what you got to do to make the world a better place. Take care.